All right, good morning, guys. We're going into the Word. Uh, grab your Bible, jump to Jonah chapter 4, and uh, that's where we're going to land today. Uh, real quickly, just a reminder that next week is uh, a, a membership class. If you're interested in being a member of the church or being a more committed part of our church and you want to know more, ask more, learn more, just jump in. That's what this is for. Let me know, let Josh know, just give us a shout, email, text, call, come, you know, tell us when, you know, tonight at church, whatever, uh, that you want to be part of that so we can know what to plan for. It looks like we'll be able to do it in the new building. So that'll be cool. We got moved this week. So if you want to see what, now everything's just piled in there, but we got in the building. So hopefully we'll be able to do it in there and we'll see how it goes. Uh, but you need to let us know so we can be prepared for you if you want to do that. Um, again, that will be next week. I think around four o'clock is what we're planning right now. So, but that being said, reminder again, this is not church. This is me recording a video for you to jump into the word with, uh, as I unpack, you know, some of the text here. But tonight's when we'll really pull it apart. So we want you to come be part of that and, and have some input. Share what, you know, what's moved you, what's struck out to you, what you got questions about, all of that. That's what we do when we come together as church, because when we gather, that's when church happens. So if you want to come be part of that, we'd love for you to. We'll tell you how to find us. Hit us up on social media, email, uh, website, however you want to do it. We'll tell you how to find us, and you can come hang out with us and uh, jump in the Word, man. It's a lot of fun. And then, uh, you know, within about a month or two, I think we're shooting for early January to go live in the new location. So... When I keep saying live, it, it, it's going to be videoed, uh, but I'm saying that instead of me standing here in this little stage setting, I'll be, we'll be with a group of people. So that being said, we would love for you to come be part of that, and we'll give you more details when that comes around. Anyway, let's go into the Word, Jonah chapter 4. We've been talking about this series of I Can't Help How I Feel, um, and I don't know if you believe that's true or not. Um, do you feel like you can't help how you feel? Well, as Christians, like everybody else, we do have emotions no doubt, but they should be controlled by God's design and not controlling us. So that's kind of where we're coming from. Today, we're going to talk about uh, anger and hate. I call this something to hate, which is a funny title. Uh, and I know it sounds kind of scary. It sounds kind of negative. It sounds like I'm probably going to say something that social media is going to blow into a firestorm over. <laughs> but but don't worry, that's not the case. I promise that's not going to be the what happens Um today and it shouldn't be anything negative that you hear i hope but maybe you've been taught to hate not to hate excuse me maybe you've been taught to hate one of the two or maybe your life's been taught not to hate anything anybody nothing and uh that's probably a good practice but i want to tell you what the bible says today so that's what we're going to do go to jonah chapter four and a quick reminder tonight we're doing an upper room so we call it a that's what we call the lord's supper it's the whole it's the whole evening and we come together Love for you to come be part of that. If you've been part of it before, you already know it's awesome. Uh, if you haven't, then we'd love for you to come be part of it. You can hit it again, hit us up online. We'll tell you how to find us. Uh, and you'll be part of that tonight. So Jonah chapter four, let's get into this. All right. Jonah chapter four. I'm going to read the first few verses here. He says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Uh, they're talking about God forgiving the people of Nineveh. We'll get to it, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country. 
That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? All right, let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. It is awesome. I pray, Lord, that you uh, unpack it for us. I'm just a voice, Lord, a sinful voice at that. And I pray you keep me clean, pure, especially in this time that your voice would be heard over and above mine because it's your word and not mine. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So April 20th, 1999. Maybe you remember that day. Maybe you don't. Um, I do. Uh Almost like 9-11 for a lot of us that do remember it. Very shocking day where people were standing in front of TV screens and blown by what they're looking at in a similar way to 9-11. Like, what am I, how has this happened? How has this happened? The unthinkable as we all stared at the screen trying to make sense of the fact that in Littleton, Colorado, two teenage boys walked into their own high school, Columbine, and began shooting their fellow students. And when it was over, 13 teenagers were killed. Well, 13, including these teenagers. And just when you thought that hate could get no worse than that, December 4th, 2012 came along. Maybe you remember that one. In Newton, Connecticut, a 20-year-old man walked into Sandy Hook Elementary and did the same thing, started shooting. He killed 26 people, including 20 little children. But that wasn't the first with the young children. I don't know if you even know about this one. Maybe some of you do, but eight years before Sandy Hook, on the first day of school in a Russian province, a school called the Beslan School was invaded by Chechen terrorists. And 1,100 people were held hostage for three days. And when it was all said and done, 333 people were killed, including 186 children. And it's still considered the deadliest school shooting in human history. How much hate do you have to have for that? How much hate do you have to have for that? How much anger has to build to produce that kind of hate? You know? And maybe that's way beyond your grasp as it is mine. So let's back away from schools because it's everywhere. You have children killing parents. You have parents killing children. Maybe it doesn't have to be killing. You have husbands who are beating their wives. You have men who hit women. You have boys who hit girls. I'm in high schools. I see it. Molly sees it in high schools too. It happens. It blows me away, especially that. Something unthinkable in my grandparents' generation is becoming pretty normalized now. Or or how about anger over the color of skin? How about anger over talking about the anger over color of skin? You know what I'm saying? That's something that was normalized in my grandparents' time that's now becoming unthinkable. At what point do we shudder at the actions of hate? Like, where's the line where we all of a sudden go, ooh, that was way too far, you know? And and at what point do we just dismiss it as, oh, they're just upset, they're just angry? Like, I can't help how I feel. Is hate ever okay? Is it ever okay? Is there anger ever okay? Is there a place for either one of them? If you're a believer, especially, should we hate those who did these things, like the Sandy Hook stuff and all that? Should we hate those who did those things? Would it 
anger you, though, if God forgave them? Just saying. What can we do about the hate in our own life, right? These are the things we're going to kind of wrestle with today. And I'll go on and say right up front, when we let anger and hate find a place in our heart, it will direct us towards irrational behavior, even at God. And it will either expose our true nature or it will cause us to defy our true nature. Ultimately hurting us as equally as the one being hated. I can guarantee you. So in this passage today, you're going to see that God challenges Jonah's anger and hatred here for the people of Nineveh. That's where God's kind of coming in at him on. And he's forcing him to face the facts that all people, including Jonah, are in God's hands, right? And grace is a gift to Jonah just as well as it is to Nineveh. And Jonah has no justification for hating them, but he should be hating their hopelessness apart from the grace of God. So we're going to land on two points, hate that's learned and then learning to hate. Okay, hate that's learned and then learning to hate. I know this is just wild because I keep just throwing hate, but you're going to get it. Okay, so backstory really quick if you don't know it. Seven or so centuries before Jesus, uh, God sends a prophet from Israel to Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria. Uh, modern day Iraq, Mosul. That's that's the modern day location. It's about 500 miles away from Israel where he was coming from. And he sends him to tell them that the God of Israel is going to bring judgment on them and deal with them for all of the things they've done. But instead, Jonah goes the exact opposite direction. Instead of going east, he goes due west and tries to jump onto the sea and sail away literally from all of it. And a bit in his defense, these people of Nineveh were were monsters in a lot of ways. They were doing horrific and horrible things, violent things, especially to the people that they conquered, desecrating, destroying the bodies of the dead. They would impale them on poles and, and leave them to rot and scare people. And They were pretty nasty people here. However, you know the story. He takes off for the sea. God feeds Jonah to a fish. <laughs> and three days later, that fish spits Jonah's body up on the same shore where he departed from. And God calls him back to life. I believe Jonah died in that fish. That's another story. We can have that discussion if you want to hit me up or come tonight and we can talk about it. But I believe he did. I believe God rose him from the dead and tells him, let's try this another time. And so this time, thankful to be alive, Jonah goes and he preaches the best hellfire and damnation message he's ever preached in his whole entire life. All over Nineveh, but rather than attacking him as he's expecting, rather than persecuting him as he's expecting, the unthinkable happens, they repent. Alright, so that's where, that's where our story picks up. Hate that's learned. Look in verse 10, when God saw what they did, nationwide fasting and repentance and all this, you can read the story. How they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he'd said he'd do to them and he did not do it. That was in uh, chapter 3, verse 10, chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Literally, displeased there was evil to. It was evil to Jonah, exceeding evil to Jonah. And he was angry. So get the picture there. It's not just, oh, he's mad. He considered it evil, and he was ticked off. Perhaps he's implying here that God was doing evil. You know what I'm saying? Like, why doesn't a good God destroy evil? So obviously, therefore, he is evil. Maybe that logical argument's spinning around his head, but who defines the evil? So 
Who makes that definition? That's something to remember. So is, is he being irrational here? Yeah, he's being irrational. Yes, he's being irrational. But keep in mind that we do the same thing. We do it too. You might not. Well, how often have you felt like God was not fair? Be honest. There been a time where you felt like God was not fair. Be honest. In a simple way, you're saying a similar thing. I believe this is fair. I believe this is good. I believe this is right. I believe this is fair. And you're not doing that. In fact, God, you're doing the opposite. So therefore, you are not fair, not good, not right. We can get there just as easily. So verse 2, and he prayed to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, that's a proper name. It's all caps. It's the proper name Jehovah, Yahweh. It's his name. Is not this what I said when I was yet in my own country? He's basically saying, I told you that you would do this. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. Man, is he mad. He's not even he's not even making sense of his words. I told you that you would do this. Or to cut to the chase, saying, I knew you'd do that. I knew you'd do it. I knew you'd do that. Why is he so mad about it? Well, you made me look bad in front of these people. I went out and preached that you were going to judge them. And instead, no, you forgive them. You're making me look bad. Why, what else? Well, I preached judgment, and then you let them off. I preached judgment. I, me, I preached judgment, and you, God, let them off. Or, don't you know what these people have done? And he's right about that. Who knows what they, what they might have done to him personally. Maybe he's lost family in some way. We don't know. He's got some personal, deep, rich hate there that we don't know about. But do you know what they've done? And again, before you throw them under the bus, has there been anyone in your life? I want you to listen to me now. Has there been anyone in your life that's hurt you? And I'm not talking about said something bad about you. I'm talking about hurt you bad, bad. Like maybe even in unspeakable ways. Maybe things that only you know, secrets that you've harbored or hold inside and suffer with and probably ruined much, if not all, of your life. Maybe you feel like that. And the anger with that person is so deep. Now imagine God tells you, I'm going to deal with that person. You have suffered long enough with this hate. You have suffered long enough with this hurt that you were forced into so many years and for so many years and for so many years. I'm going to deal with it. It's time for justice. Now imagine in that very moment, you go to them telling them it's time for you to pay and they completely repent. And God celebrates their repentance right in front of you. Just think about that person, whoever it is. If that's you. Also notice the racial implications here. When he says my country. Didn't I tell you this when I was in my country? There's some racism in that. My people, my kind, my race. Jonah had grown up in a hatred for these Assyrian people. It was a hatred that was learned. And again, maybe there was some just cause for it because of the horrors. But either way, it was learned. All right. Verse 2 goes on. He says, uh, that's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. That's across the sea. That's where he was going. For I knew, I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That means grace, relenting from disaster. Jonah says he knew God's heart and that exposes his own heart, by the way. He knew God's heart. How did he know that 
it was in God's nature to do that. How did he know? Well, for one, God had saved him from this fish and death, I believe. But also, Scripture itself. I could give you a bunch, but we'll just give you a few. These would be Scriptures he would know, he would have. Genesis 12, verse 2. God tells Abraham, I will make of you a great nation that became Israel. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So that you will be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, listen, all the families of the earth will be blessed. He would have known that. The people of Israel's purpose was to bless all nations. Isaiah chapter 60. And nations shall come to your light, Israel, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Talking about the nations of the world being drawn to the light of Israel. He would have known these. Probably the most striking one is he's practically quoting Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. The Lord says to Moses as he's passing by, he says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He almost said that word for word. So Jonah knows scripture. So, but, but but look at how irrational he's becoming because of anger, because of hate that, that, that's been taught and growing in him and growing in him now. He's come to saying in verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life for me. It's better for me to die than live. I mean, Jonah. One of the greatest revelations of grace. One of the most, probably the most, powerful uh uh you know repentance moment in revival this is what i'm looking for in in scripture and jonah is suicidal over it one of the greatest moments of grace in all of history a whole city becomes believers and jonah is suicidal over it jonah is bold he's patriotic he's proud when he thinks god's going to crush his enemy but furious when he finds out God loves him instead. Now I wonder what application we can pull from that. Hmm. Leave it at that. Verse 4. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? God literally saying, yo, check yourself, bro. Hey, check yourself. But I love that he formulates a question here, not a statement. Class is about to be in session. Verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and he sat at the east of the city and he made a booth that's a a shelter made out of branches like a lean-to where you lay the branches up and kind of sit like in a little triangle on the ground with some branches over you for himself and he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city so he's shading himself with these sticks the sun's still coming through but he's trying to kind of shade himself here with these sticks and he's waiting to see what's going to happen um it's almost like he's sitting down and waiting for God to see the error of his ways and straighten this thing out and rain down Sodom and Gomorrah hellfire on him. But instead, God brings the classroom around Jonah right where he sits. So this man who's hate, hate, uh, excuse me, hate that's been learned. Now you're going to see learning to hate. Look at verse six. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, a vine. And made it come up or ascend over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. The word discomfort's evil. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the vine. So lesson number one. This is grace right here, Jonah. This is grace. A vine that you had nothing to do with. 
that God calls to grow a vine that shelters you from the heat of the sun, even though you certainly haven't earned the comfort and peace that's come from it. The vine appointed and grown by God has given that peace to you and that comfort to you, even while you are bitter at him. That's grace, Jonah. Jesus is that vine. John 15, Jesus calls himself a vine. Jesus is the one who covers us and takes the wrath of God that's meant for us because of our bitterness at him. But watch this. Lesson number two, verse seven. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. So God brings this scorching hot wind that's blasting him in the sand and he causes the sun to be more intense on the head of Jonah until Jonah is about to faint. And he asked, Jonah does, begged is the word there, begged that he might die and said, is it better for me to die? It is better, excuse me, for me to die than live. Still saying the same thing. Lesson two, you forget. It's the vine that shades you from suffering. That apart from God's vine, suffering is all you have to look forward to. Now, this is heavy, but it's it's reality. It's all you got to look forward to. He's portraying hell here. I believe in a really powerful way. Apart from the grace of God. Apart from the shelter of the vine. Total exposure to the scorching. The worm he mentions there that comes and eats it. Jesus describes hell as a place where the worm never dies. You can look it up, but Mark 9 is one spot where he uses that phrase three times. But he makes it personal. He says there, T-H-E-I-R, their worm never dies in, in hell. Just as Jonah had a worm, these people who are suffering in hell have a worm that I believe constantly devours that vine in a sense. That it never dies. It's always there to eat back the shade from the scorching. There's no vine, no grace of Christ to shelter you from the wrath of God there in that place. And the desire to die is there. But you can't. It's eternal. And here sits Jonah feeling the weight of that. Lesson number two. And then lesson number three, verse nine. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die, still pitching a fit. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in one night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. There's a lot of debate about that. I'm not getting all that now. Take for the point. is a huge city. With a lot of people. A lot of livestock. A lot of life in this city. Lesson number three. Never forget that the same grace that comes to you is available to whomever God extends it. And it may make you angry. That he would grow his grace over them. That he would grow his grace over him, over her. It may make you angry. But it's not your grace to grow. It's his. Do you have a right to be angry at the very one who's given you relief from the suffering of sin? 
Do you have a right to be angry at the very same one that's given you relief from the suffering of sin? So if Jonah wants to be angry at something, wants to hate something, rather than the people of Nineveh, rather than God, rather than the vine, hate the suffering. Hate the scorching. Hate it enough that you don't want anybody to ever see it. Hate the threat of hell for those who refuse Christ. Hate the sin that leads people there. Hate the rebelliousness that clings to that sin. Hate that they're lost. Hate the devil that's leading them headlong into that place. Jude 23, Jude only has one chapter, verse 23. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear. Listen, hating even the garment that's stained by the flesh. Even the garment that has the, the, the smell of sin on it. Hate even that. How would Jonah's response have looked if he'd hated sin like this, like what James is talking about, and was more interested in snatching them from the fire by preaching this warning and judgment? What would it have looked like then? Rather than being miserable and wanting to die here, he would have been celebrating a miracle. Instead, those he hates are celebrating a miracle, and he's suffering in the scorching sun and sand. Instead of celebrating with God, he's angry at God. And rather than being celebrated for bringing the grace of God to these people, he's getting a hard, solid education in what grace really means. And this is almost always the result of anger and hatred. Almost always. The extent of the suffering falls back on us who hate. The anger becomes irrational and misplaced and we find ourselves getting schooled the hard way on what we should already know. Now, before you run off and start hating sin and getting all full of righteous anger, consider one other thing. Let's throw in here really quick. James chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person, listen, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Listen, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What a powerful statement. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So be slow to go there. Why? Literally, the idea is that if we get mad enough, we might, and we, and it's righteous anger, we might cause somebody to be a good person. Obviously, that will never happen. He's saying it will never happen. It does not produce, it might produce some apologies, it might produce some smiles, but it's never going to cause a person to be a good and righteous person. It's not going to do it. And yes, the Bible does say anger is okay, but what, like this, watch this, Ephesians 4.26, be angry, yes, and do not sin. Watch this, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So get the point here, key, key point here, do not let the sun go down on your anger. There's a time limit on it. You've got to shut it off. There's a time limit on it. So be slow to anger, but if you get angry and it's justified now, it's got to be justified. If you've got a right for that anger and it's justified, then deal with it and get rid of it quickly, very quickly, because it's wrong for you to harbor it even overnight. And 
For that matter, if you do, it will give Satan an opportunity in your own life. You better give it to God and let it go, right? And I know Jesus gets angry. Everybody loves to go to this. Well, Jesus got mad. He got mad with the money changers. He started flipping the tables. I know, I know. Uh, Matthew 21, we'll read it, read it from there. In verse 12, it says, Jesus entered the temple, drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, because they were basically robbing people. It's a long story, but he just turned the temple into a marketplace with a bunch of cheating criminals in there. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. So I read the last verse on purpose. So however, let's put some things in perspective here really quick. First of all, this is a one-time moment with Jesus. He doesn't go throughout the land doing this. It's a one-time thing. Weigh this in proportion to his character throughout all of the Gospels. Okay? First of all. Second of all, Jesus is basically saying, you made my house a den of thieves. So this is not just about righteous anger everywhere in the world. This is saying, this is my house is what he's saying. He's basically, in essence, saying this is not just a public spot. This belongs to me. I designed it. I am the one worshipped here. It's my house. So he has the right, not that he doesn't anyway as God, but he has the right as it being his house to do that. Uh, uh, third thing. His very next action is to heal in the same house. He's not just showing out, venting anger, losing control. He is clearing out garbage so that he can do what's meant to be done in that place, which is heal. Dealt with the anger quick. And then a final thing is notice the people that Jesus is angry at here are religious people. He said, money changers are working for the priests and the people in the in the temple, all of them. These are all religious Jewish people this, the, that are in the temple. These are not Romans. These are not Greeks. These are not monstrous people. These are the, the Jewish people of God that he's going after with this thing. So keep those things in mind. And, and let me give you a few just Proverbs, wise sayings about anger here. You can process them in your own time. Proverbs 14, verse 17. A man of quick temper acts foolish. A man, if you get angry fast, you're going to do stupid stuff. Irrational things. That's what he says. Proverbs 15, verse 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. If you're slow to anger, you tend to bring things down rather than accelerate it. Uh, Proverbs 16, verse 32. Whoever is slow to anger, listen to this one, is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit, then he who takes a city. He's, he's basically saying if you can rule over your anger and control that, that's better than conquering a whole city. So what do we do with this? Well, maybe as a believer, anger's eating you up. I don't know. Maybe the world we live in, maybe it's somebody you're married to, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's something else. I don't know. But anger is tearing you up. And maybe it's even fair and justified. Maybe it is. But is it stealing your happiness? Is it stealing your joy? Is it taking that from you? Maybe rather than trying to figure out how to fix that by hugging trees when you don't really want to or handing out daisies when you don't really want to, maybe you need, listen to me now carefully, maybe you need to hate. Maybe you need to hate. However, hate what God hates. Hate what God hates. 
Practice some of these prayers every day. Just say these little short statements. You know, I don't necessarily do them every day, but I try to. Break my heart for what breaks yours. I know that's from a song, but it's such a great statement. Break God. Break my heart for what breaks yours. If it's breaking your heart, break my heart with it. Just say it on the way out the door in the morning. Or show me what you see. Show me what you see. I want to see what you see, the way you see. I'm talking about people now. I'm not talking about let me see the universe and all that. I'm talking about people. Show me what you see when you see him or her. Or burn into me a hatred, Lord, for sin. Burn into me a hatred for sin. My own sin, not everybody else's. Burn into me a hatred for my for sin in my life. Or this one. Keep my anger on your enemies. Whoever I can identify as an enemy of God, keep my anger on them. And I can tell you right now, that's a spiritual answer. Satan and spiritual enemies in that way. Anybody controlled by Satan is captive. The enemy is him. All right? And at the same time, never stop looking at grace. Man, this is where we mess up. Never stop looking at grace. Remember, he saved you. He saved you. What is it about you that's so special? Nothing. He saved you. You're special because he said you are. While you were a sinner, while you were an enemy, I'm saying you because me too, an enemy with him, he saved you. Not with a life, didn't throw you a life jacket. He didn't just erase the blackboard with all your sins on it. He did it with the blood of his son. Are you worth that? Man, remember that before you get angry or filled with hate. Me too, man. Grace should direct our hearts away from anger and hate when we reflect on the fact that that is exactly what God did for us. I'm going to say that again. Grace should direct our heart away from anger and hate when we reflect on how God did that for us. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't given your life to Christ, you know, I don't know. Do you struggle with anger? Do you struggle with anger? Is it is if you're completely honest with yourself? Are there people that you hate? Do you feel like that hatred is poisoning you? You feel like you're getting bitter about. It? Do you feel like you're suffocating with all of it? I, I don't know. I, I'm going to ask you something though. One question: Can you can you explain grace? Can you explain it? Can you? Tell, tell, tell me what it's all about. Well, maybe you feel like grace is, well, it's, it's, that's great, but it's for those who are good people who have earned it or to go to church or deserve it. That's actually the complete opposite of grace. The truth is that grace is undefinable. That's why you have songs like Amazing Grace. It's beyond explanation. Grace is while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were the foul, rotten person, Christ died for us. Didn't just say, hey, check the box, died for us. Grace is for God so loved the world with all of its nasty, disgusting, wicked sin and everything. For God so loved the world, your hate included, my hate and anger included. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Man, that's grace. That's what the cross is about. All the hate in the world. All the hate in the world focused on one place. On one person. And nailed to a cross. The vine. 
nailed to the cross to shade all of that suffering and suffocating heat of sin from us. Those who can turn to that by faith. Freedom, forgiveness, hope, being clean, being pure, being full of joy. Those are the things that come with it. It's accessed by faith. And it's like this. Can you admit who you are? Hey, I'm a sinner. You know what? I own it. I can own that. I know I am. I'm a sinner. And I I don't want to be. I want to repent. I want a different life. Can you do that? Can you admit who you are? Can you believe in who he is? The living, true one and only God who created all things. Can you believe in that? Who conquered death? And can you trust what he's accomplished That very thing that he has defeated sin, death, and the grave because you cannot. Can you trust him with that? Tell him. Tell him. And then tell us, man. We want to pray with you. Lord, I love you. Your word is awesome. Thank you for the privilege of preaching and sharing. And I pray, God, that you're glorified in it by everything that we say and do. Help us be uh, slow to anger, Lord. Help us let it go and avoid it. Um, and help us, Lord, to hate the things that you hate, Lord, and love unconditionally as you do. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.